and welcome to Once More with Feeling, a podcast where we talk about the wake and the divine and our feelings, which, oh, there's going to be a lot of feelings. I'm Kate. Oh, I'm Christina. Yeah, Christina, I'm really impressed you did not have a heart attack. Oh, buddy, oh boy. Okay, so today we're talking about The Wicked and Divine, issue number 41. Spoiler alerts, all the spoiler alerts. No, seriously, read this comic before you listen to this podcast. It's been out for two weeks by the time this podcast is out. Yeah, seriously, you've had plenty of time. We're panicking because this is the day it was released, so like... We've already broken our rule of we don't talk to each other about the comic until we record the podcast. Just because we're screaming about it, you know? We just have to scream. Yeah. And that's what the podcast is for. We have feelings. Yep. That's why we made a podcast. So we can record our screams and the world can listen to them if they so choose. It's kind of like the high-tech equivalent of screaming into a jar. Yeah. That's kind of what we're doing. I finished the issue before Christina finished the issue. Yes. And then I told Christina, go read the issue. You got the preview copy because you still work in comic books. Yes. So you were just kind of like, you need to read it. And I'm just kind of like, Kate, it's late. She's like, it doesn't matter. You need to read it. (laughs) Was I wrong? No, you were not wrong. Oh, man. Do we want to dive into this? Let's start. There's the new page with all of the people in it. Yes. We have Ball believing it's the way to defeat the great darkness, tries to sacrifice 20,000 people during a gig at the O2 Arena. However, Laura Wilson takes the stage and uses her amplified performance to guide everyone out before the building explodes. Life goes on. We got Minerva Oranke, 6K, death-phobic years of lying and murder, shows no signs of stopping. Laura, descended god, gave up her divinity, still has powers, huh? Are you going to read all of them? Because I feel like there's too many. I'm not going to read all of them. Other than that, Woden thinks he's the big baddie, which he is definitely not. No. I feel like these last issues that we've been having are Woden realizing how little he actually understands about what everyone's doing. I think in this first scene is Woden finding out he's not the big baddie. Kind of, yeah. So let's just jump right into it. We kick off almost immediately after the incident at the O2 Arena where it exploded. Minnie's fucking face. And Woden wanders into the room where Ball is standing with Minerva and his younger siblings. And he's just kind of like, what? Hey, Ball, what? Yeah, you blew up the fucking O2. Yeah. Of course, Woden did not want to know what Ball was planning. He built everything. And Ball even says, we blew up the O2 because everything that was in that arena was something that Woden built and designed or, or had Mirmir build. Yeah, and in a court of law, that makes Woden an accessory. Yes, very much so. And he explicitly said, you know what? I don't want to know what this is for. I don't want to know what you're doing with it. Like, his ignorance is willful. So he cannot be mad that the thing that he created for these purposes was used for the purpose it was created for because he said that he didn't want to know what it was being used for. I mean, I'll give Woden the very rare bit of slack that I ever give Woden of he can still be mad because he probably was not expecting a murder of 20,000 people. Even if that is what it was used for, he should have seen it coming, though. I mean, especially, I think, after it already got out that Ball was sacrificing children. Does everyone know? I feel like everyone knows that now. No, I don't think they do. Well, Laura knows, and she told Cass. Yeah, but are any of them on speaking terms with Woden or Ball? Well, I mean, Cass was just in a cage that Woden had put her in. Mm, she's not going to tell Woden shit. I would have. I would have been like, hey, by the way, your friend over there murders children. Reevaluate yourself. 
and then I was snapped in a Z formation. <laughs> oh god, what happens when a god snaps in a Z formation? Everything explodes. So Woden for once is just kind of like, it's a good thing that Laura showed up because she got everybody out and Ball's mad about this. He's upset that his big sacrifice was ruined because there was 20,000 people in that arena and he had planned for this whole big thing and it was going to save the world and he had like hyped himself up for being like this mass murderer, heroic sacrifice, villainous sacrifice, whatever. Yep. And his little sister is like, hey, mom was there? So now his siblings know that their big brother is awful. Their big brother was willing to murder their mother. (laughs) Yep. He explicitly stated we needed to sacrifice those people. And his little sister is just kind of like, hey, you invited mom to this show. You planned this. Yeah. And this is why you didn't want us watching it. And then the Valkyries are being called. It's now Flight of the Valkyries. They're going hunting. Yep. The difficult sophomore album on the 1st of May. 2015 and we get laura i like this valkyries are moving see if they can find laura wilson uh she disappeared in the crowd we could catch her and i love laura's inner monologue laura wilson whose superpowers include a travel card intricate knowledge of the london underground and optimism she hasn't managed to scrape away so one of her superpowers is a metro card my superpower is my ability to use public transportation. <laughs> I really appreciate it. But she's at the mental institution that they have modified for Cass or hospital. Yeah, it's just a private hospital. I don't think it's a mental institution. It's just like a private inpatient clinic. Okay. Yeah. Well, they've turned it into a prison. Basically, yes. Yep. So we see the Valkyries leaving from the ceiling. Laura sees that. They don't see Laura because I don't think they're expecting her to wear something not so flashy. They're not expecting her to just look like a random civilian. Yeah. And so Laura knocks on the door and this is where we find out she can still perform. Yep. Which is great. She's doing this without killing anyone. I love it. It's very different from her previous performances that we saw because in earlier comics when she was performing, it was dark. It was the vines creeping in on your mind. It was Persephone's in hell over and over again. This is very different. Mm -hmm. We see these technicolor kind of like neon, almost vaporwave sort of aesthetic going on in the background. It's to me, it looks like the weird visual representation of like, not necessarily static, but like a weird white noise almost. Yeah, it's sadder. Her face makes me think it's sad. I feel like it's a lot more, not necessarily genuine, but it's less self-loathing, at least. Yeah. So she stuns the guy who opens the door, comes inside, and does the same thing to the receptionist, pops in, and we get a lovely little speech bubble of just weird technicolor waves. Pink and blue waves. That leaves him stunned in place. She's doing some kind of mind control trance thing. We also get an excellent shot of Laura's very cut abs. Oh, yeah. Very cut abs. Why does everyone in this comic have such good abs? Because Jamie drew it. I guess. Jamie, why is everyone so ripped? I mean, if you were a god and could do that with a click of your fingers, wouldn't you? I would be so ripped. Listen, (laughs) I would be jacked out the wazoo. Because you're doing that the old-fashioned way right now, and uh, the old-fashioned way is awful. The old-fashioned way hurts when I go upstairs. So... Laura steals the key card off of the receptionist. She busts into this private, well, not busts in. She uses the key card to illegally gain access to this private room. It's room 209, if that matters. 
I don't know if it does, but it's the one Cassandra and her trio is in. The other two. I don't know if we know their names ever. Uh, Erdor and Skr- Skull. Skull. But what are their actual names? Do we know? We did know and I forgot them. That is the running joke of this comic. It is. And we get Cassandra going, Laura fucking Wilson, what are you doing here? Oh, yeah, you're saving us. Ask the obvious question. Yeah, I love that Cassandra, the prophet, asked the obvious question. Yeah. I'm here to do a tap dance, Cassandra. Why do you think? And we see Laura try to do a miracle that doesn't work while she agrees with Cassandra that I'm here to rescue you. And Cassandra's like, are you okay? What's wrong? And that's where we find out Laura's miracles aren't even at 1% of what she used to be able to do. So she can do some basic stuff. And the amplification of the O2 theater probably allowed her to do more than she normally would, which possibly included getting everyone out of there. Yeah. And putting them in a trance so they wouldn't remember. But she's like, fine, we'll do this with a hammer. We'll just break the thing to get them out of that prison. It's Her miracles are very hit or miss right now. Laura blows up the control panel and says we gotta get moving and cassandra says we have to get the heads what and we'll have them here to which laura asks where and cassandra defines it with i do now follow me so cassandra's using her powers a lot more now that she realizes wait i can just get answers i can just know stuff so we're just gonna get the answers we're just gonna do that all the time it's because Cassandra's always been a very reluctant god. Mm-hmm. She's definitely never really wanted this. Even when she got it, she seemed to hate it and she seemed to resent the fact that people worshipped her. Yeah. In a way. She definitely did. Yeah. She wanted to get her message out, which is what she was doing as a journalist. But the fact that she was doing it through this way, she resented. And now that it seems like she's accepted that this is the scenario that she's in and this is like the tools that she has. I just realized she and Tara are two opposite sides of a similar coin where they both hated their godhood but went about it in a different way, where Tara's became more internalized while Cass's was external. That isn't to say that Tara didn't hate other people. Oh, she hated other people, but she took it more personally. She did take it more personally. They're also an interesting like flip side in that you could argue that there's some level of dysphoria happening in both of them. Mm-hmm. Because obviously we have Cassandra, who's trans, who has to struggle with that perception of her and her identity and people like being dicks about it. And then we also have Tara, who, as far as we know, is a cis woman, but who is dealing with all of the ramifications that comes with that gender and being attractive as a cis woman and how people tend to objectify you that way. An attractive cis woman of color especially yeah let's add the exoticism on there and like both of them are these women of color who are dealing with these issues of other people judging them for their bodies Mm -hmm. but also not listening to what they're saying pretty much and that's why i always thought that cassandra and tara would get along if they ever had the chance to talk if they took a minute to like not immediately hate each other They're very similar, though Cassandra's more outwardly aggressive. You're correct. Tara is very, like, she's not an aggressive person. Yeah. But we also see a lot, and I feel like it's emphasized more recently as we see Cassandra using her powers more, the strings of fate effect whenever she does a miracle. Yeah. I like it. It looks neat. It looks cool. Yeah. So they bust into the big bad lab where there's all the head boxes and Mir Mir in his Tron suit. 
Well, we find out they're the head boxes. I didn't realize they were the head boxes. I thought they were just like some weird computers that stole powers. But no, you're right. Head boxes. Head boxes. Yeah. So they bust in. Mirror Mirror's just kind of like, what are you doing here? And Cassandra's like, that's what I said. But then I realized it was a stupid question. And they go about rescuing all the heads. Mirror Mirror is immediately, as soon as like they bust in and they're like, we're here to rescue. He's like, oh, good. Thank you. Get me off of this body. Get me off. Get me off. Get me off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cassandra rushes over to do that while Laura and the other two Norns go to open the boxes. And we get... The long-awaited... I know, and this is a little bit of a monologue, is the surprise is what I feel first as Laura opens Lucifer's box and it says, not horror, guilt. I'm really glad you got this page. I know. As we see Lucifer's head, though partially I'm a little sad I didn't get the next one, but we see Lucifer's head sitting inside the box, her mouth sewn shut, and Laura is not... Like, she says she's not horrified by what she's, she feels guilty because how long has it been since she thought Lucifer died? At least a year. At least a year. I think it's, like, been, yeah, because it was, like, in January of 2014. Yeah. So it's been over a year that Lucifer has been ahead. And, like, Laura's just kind of, like, all of this time you were sitting, well, she didn't necessarily know that she's been sitting in a weird underground altar, but you've been sitting in this box. So I have a really weird side thing that my brain went, that makeup lasted for a year. It's God makeup. (laughs) Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's divine power. (laughs) I can't do much as a head, but I can still look good. Exactly. So Laura's guilt and Laura picks up Lucy and Laura's like, why didn't I get my shit together quicker? I spent so much time self-loathing. It's just being super destructive and you see her start to say i'm sorry and lucy's response is to wink oh this is what got me this little panel laura's horrified sorrowful face as she apologizes to lucifer's decapitated head and lucifer just gives her the sauciest little wink yep that laura seems to be mildly turned on by or at least fond of this expression i would say is part fondness definitely but also a little bit relief i think yeah that she's still sane that she's still sane but also it looks like lucifer doesn't blame her yeah the little wink is a nonverbal thing like we're good oh my god forgiveness from lucifer i know right (laughs) ah it's so good the themes i love it she gets the devil's forgiveness and that cleanses her of her guilt because it's not laura's fault it's freaking serial killer Menanke. Yeah. And Laura says, oh God. And you hear Mira Mira continuing to talk to Cassandra. The teleporter's in the helmet. You have to get me out of the helmet. I'm guessing the teleporter is how they could just grab his head back. Yeah. So like if he's not out of the helmet, then he's not technically like free. Yeah. Like if that was me in that position, I don't know how clear it would have been. It would have been more like, get me out, get me out, get me out, get me out. Ah, just incoherent screaming. <laughs> yeah. To which Cassandra's like, I know I've been stuck here planning what to do if I ever got out. And we see the Valkyries starting to show up. The little pixelated beams. Yep. So everyone has a head. Every Norn has a head. Laura has Lucy. And Cassandra's response is, I've been dreaming of this too. Cassandra has been waiting for the day that she can just wreck some people. Yep. She's been waiting for this moment where she can destroy. And basically what we see is these golden strings of fate 
blasting out of this hospital. They break through the wall. They completely obliterate the place. There's shrapnel flying everywhere. It's intense. We've never seen this kind of power from Cass. We've only really ever seen her perform and her divine. We have not seen a lot of miracles from the Norns. Yeah, maybe some like flying here and there, but nothing big like the other gods have done. The next panel is this obliterated hole in the wall and all three Norns walking through it with purpose. Like they're on a mission. They're ladies who are going places, surrounded by the broken bodies of the Valkyries lying amongst the rubble. Yep. And just Laura in the background being like, ah. <laughs> That's what I like to imagine that little face is. It's just kind of going like, ah. I didn't know that would happen. Yeah, exactly. And Cassandra then turns to her and is just kind of like, you got an escape plan, right? And off they go. Yep. And we see in the background they left just in time because we see lightning hit with the fire. Mm -hmm. And Laura says she has a place to run to anyway. Fire and lightning on the horizon. And they can start to see Woden's portals. And so they just go. They fly low and fast and they just go to the underground where they fuck the gate. Yeah. Now's not the time for subtlety. Yep. And this is as safe as we're ever going to get. And Cass is like, is this far enough? I'm never sure with this stuff. And Laura's like, yeah, we're good. And you see hope. And we get Lucy able to talk for the first time. For a while, at least. Yeah. Yeah. We get to see her talk as a head before, but it's been a while. Mm -hmm. And we get stop squirming because I'm imagining Lucy is trying to talk this entire damn time. And we get Minerva's and Anki just her yelling that real loud. It's her first words. And I love the first thing she says after Lucifer gets the ability to speak again. She literally had her mouth sewn shut. And the first thing she said is, she's just Anki. She's Anki. The pissy little streak of piss is Anki. <laughs> I love it. She is so mad. She's so mad. She's almost incoherent. She's not able to think of like a quippy insult. She's just so mad. She's just screaming. Yeah. And we have next to her Inanna and Tara who are just looking over at her like, yeah. I like Inanna's look because you can see mostly Inanna's face there. Yeah. You can see a little bit of Tara's eyes. Yeah. Also, Laura looking back at Cass. I love that expression. Yeah. Just kind of like, what? Again, there's so much happening that's being revealed. Like, this is what needs to happen in every story is that the heroes who have been separated and have all learned different things finally get together and get to share with each other what they've learned and the bigger picture gets formed. Yeah. Now everyone is together and everyone knows what's going on. And Lucy's not dealing with that trope of we wait forever to tell people the important things and don't get to. No. I'm screaming this now. I'm saying it immediately. <laughs> so Cassandra's just kind of like, what is that supposed to mean? And Laura's like, I don't know, I guess. But obviously the heads clarify and mm -hmm. it's all going to be figured out eventually. But Laura has this revelation like, okay, so if it's Anaki who's doing this and if Minerva is Anaki, Sekhmet was killed by Minerva. Oh, yeah. So... What happened to Sekhmet's head? And Inanna says, basically, like, well, she showed up where we were, but he's trying to be delicate about it. He says she was missing a piece. Like, the entire bottom part of her face, I think, wasn't it? It's gone. Yeah. Yeah, like, the entire bottom half of her face was gone. Yeah, imagine an eye patch, and Anaki only got everything, like, eye patch line and above. She got, like, one eye. Yeah. 
So this is also sort of crushing for Laura because Laura and Sekhmet were kind of like together for a bit. Laura admitted at some point, oh, we were girlfriends. Yeah, it's like, oh, I was dating Sekhmet. Like that came out. So clearly she cared about her. Yeah, I think Inanna also could pick up on that just because it's Inanna. I mean, yeah, Inanna is a very empathetic person, but it's kind of a weird thing where even though like it doesn't seem like they were on at the time because Sekhmet was going on that rampage with Amaterasu, mm-hmm. but Laura still cared about her and to find out that she's actually dead when all of these other people she thought were dead weren't. Yeah. So there was probably that little spark of hope like Lucifer and Inanna I suspected Mirmir guessed Terra too, so maybe Sekhmet's alive. Nope. Sorry. Another one gone. Yep. Officially lost. But at the same time, I feel like knowing exactly what happened is still like, okay. Closure. Yeah. I know this. It's not what I want, but it's not a question anymore. Right. And next we go to Terry gets her mouth undone. I was like, oh, at last I want to sing. I Oh, this hurts. And Inanna wants an update. Hey, what have we missed? Is Ball okay? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of, I feel like, what Laura's internal monologue. It's like, there's actual words. She's more, like, eloquent than that. But her face is just inwardly like, This is our translation of what it possibly sounds like. Yeah, exactly. International version of what Laura is feeling. And so your ex was murdering children when you were with him. Your ex just tried to kill 20,000 people. Why is today a make your friends cry day? Yeah. Yeah. And so Laura avoids it by going on to a potentially more important thing. But not I can read faces real fast, real well. What's happened to him? What's wrong? Laura, tell me what's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Which I can feel for him there. There's been multiple times in D&D where I've been like, what's wrong? No, you tell me right now. But you guys, unlike these people in D&G, never get together and share what you all have learned individually. So why talk about that? Continue. (laughs) And Laura says, not now. We have to keep moving. There's things we have to do. We need help. But I think we can get you new bodies. And that's definitely something that's very interesting to the heads. Did you scream at this line? I screamed at this line. What? The new bodies? I think we can get you new bodies. Yeah, I think I texted you as soon as I read this. I was like, I think I know where this is going. Okay. This was the one panel. It's just like a close up of Laura's face, half in shadow. And she says, I think we can get you new bodies. My brain was like, oh God, I think I know where this is going. Because recently there have been some bodies (laughs) that we know are not being used at the moment and are still good. And they're in the underground. So they're convenient. And I was like, is this going where I think it's going? Because they also happen to be God-powered bodies. Yeah, we'll find out, won't we? Pretty immediately. So yep. Lucifer's just kind of like, go on. And Laura explains that there are not enough of these bodies. These bodies that she knows of that are available, there's only three. And what I love is this panel of all the heads reacting to it because Lucifer and Inanna have basically the same expression like, Lucifer's a little bit more like, what now? Where Anonis is like, oh no. And Terra's just kind of confused. She's like, what? And then you can just see a little bit of Mirmir's face in the corner. He looks mildly concerned. Yeah. I just love the facial journey you can go through with all the decapitated heads of being like, what? And Laura is so ready to be like, listen, I know this is a big decision, 
it's going to take you time to figure it out. She's ready to like be that mediating, consoling person. And Tara's just kind of like me. If I had hands, I would be raising them. Me, I'm fine with it. I hated my body. Yeah, my body has been nothing but a horror show. I can live without it. She doesn't need her body to do what she loved, which was to sing and make music. She doesn't need it for that. Maybe now that I'm ahead, people will pay attention to my art. Maybe now my art can speak for itself. Well, I mean, she's going to come back after everyone has gone through grieving her death and maybe actually listen to her shit. Yeah. Who knows? Artists always become more popular after they die. You're not wrong. So there's a brief moment of all the heads kind of like talking. And it definitely seems to me like all of the time that at least Lucifer and Anna and Tara had to spend together, like in the little shrine room, probably brought them closer as people, maybe. I don't know. And Nana's always empathetic, so he's just kind of like, I'm so sorry that you were like that. And Mirmir's immediately like, hey, my entire existence is just making stuff for people, so why don't I just make you a cool new body, a better body? Yeah, the quote is, I'll make you something wonderful. Oh, I love him. And Tara's all for it, but Lucifer's just kind of like, hey, cool, this is all like after school special, Hallmark, very touching. Can we go back to getting the bodies part of this story? Because I want the body. I would like a body. I did not volunteer to skip bodies. I would like a body, please. Can I have my body? Yeah. The scene, though, between Tara and John, I love because I've always just wanted Tara to have a friend. I know, right? They can be friends. Yeah, because she's like, oh, you're so very sweet. I've always wanted a collaborator who would, like, they're about to have a conversation and, like, level with each other. And she's like, we could totally collaborate. It'll be great. Oh, they could be friends. I want to know what robot body she gets. Listen, John's going to build her a sick new robot body and he's going to have a sick new non-robot body and they can be friends. Yeah. And it'll be great. Is it going to make it like the Terra warrior goddess that we think she might be? Because that'll be multiple arms with swords. That would be very cool. Multiple arms with swords would be cool. If I was trying to, in my brain, think of like what sort of body would Terra want? I imagine it would be something that was just kind of purely functional. Yeah. She wouldn't want something that was like adorned or special in any way because the whole point is that her appearance has always been what, in her mind, distracting people from what she has to say. Mm -hmm. And I'd be real interested to see what John makes away from his dad with someone who specifically says, no, I don't want sexy. Yeah. Make it for me. Make it work for me. And I don't want sex. Exactly. What John would create given his own like free wheel. Mm-hmm. Also, is it going to work after the two years are up? What's going to happen? Who knows, my dude? Will the magic last or is it going to end? I hear you calling May 2nd, 2015. And so next up, everyone's carrying a head into the underground temple and Cass is being snipey. Because she can't not. Yep, she just can't. And she's like, wow, Gothway's got himself a work ethic. And Laura's like, just let me do the talking, Cass. I don't need this fight. (laughs) And even he says, no, she's right. Yeah. (laughs) Baphomet Nurgle, what have you, has been a busy boy. (laughs) A very busy boy. He has built this beautiful temple with an altar that they're all walking up to. And I really love the scene. And I love the imagery that he put on that altar. Sort of like to break it down because it's very like goth cathedral underground goth cathedral there's 
these braziers with fire mm-hmm. popping out over them. There's the altar for the three Morrigans with a crow above it. With horns. The crow has horns. The crow has horns. There's his symbol at the very top mm-hmm. of the skull with the cross swords behind it. It's very good. It's very good. And I love this next panel. It's his new style. He has a new look. He's now officially gone like full. I'm Nurgle. I am Nurgle. Yeah, it's like he redid himself. There's more eyeliner now. His hair is slicked back. I kind of miss the forward hair. That was hair goals. Nurgle, what have you done? (laughs) We also can't see his abs anymore, which is distressing, but it is a good look, I will say. It's business goth now. Yep, he still has the belt buckle. Yes. And behind him are the threefold goddess floating. I never understood how big Babe's hair was. So big. You can see it in this reference, like, Dang, her hair's so big. But Nurgle announces that he's basically done. He's finished his shrine. The thing that he basically had to do with the rest of his life was like his mission was to finish the shrine to his dead girlfriend. And he's done. He's done it. We now have the creepy floating bodies of the Morrigan in the appropriately creepy goth shrine. Mm -hmm. And Nurgle has had a lot of time to think, it seems. And he's now noticed, like, okay, looks like you've been busy. Hi, Inanna. It's been a time. Last time I saw you, I thought you had been murdered in front of me. I love this, though. I love them seeing each other. Yeah. It's sweet. Like, Inanna's even sort of smiling at him, like, hey, dude, sup? Like, sad smile. Yeah. Again, they also could have been friends. They were sort of on the way to that before Inanna got beheaded. Yeah. Well, they were, no, he was friends with Dio. He was friends with Dionysus. Oh, Dio. I know. Listen, he's only brain dead. We can hope. No. I know. He's gone. Listen, shut up. Uh... Listen, shut up. Anyway. I just made myself sad all over again. Laura says like, okay, this is do or die time. We have brought you these heads. You have the bodies. It's your choice in the end because technically speaking, Nurgle is the only like death god there. Yep. Is kind of the only one who can do this. So it's up to him if he wants to do it. In theory, Persephone might have been able to do it, but we don't have Persephone anymore. Laura's not Persephone. If she still was, she probably would have been able to do it because she is an underworld god. But Laura is just Laura now. We don't know the extent of her powers. We don't know what dominion she has. Nurgle can do this, and he's the only one left who can. Yep. And he's kind of been struggling with this, whether he should just use his powers to give these three beheaded people new bodies or if he should use them to bring the Morrigan back. What she wants me to do is what he's assuming. Yeah. We got another nine panel page, guys. Yep. Take a shot. <laughs> It'd be easy. Click. And she'd be here and I'd be dead. She'd get all weepy over my corpse. I'd be floating there. She'd come back, bring me back again. It'd be some Ladyhawk shit. Lovers eternally divided. So basically, like, I could just continue with this tragic lover thing where she killed me and then killed herself to bring me back and now we're just forever apart i could do that well it's that whole idea of like i bring her back and then i die and then she gets sad and misses me and brings me back and she's dead and then i bring her back and i'm dead and we just do that for all time because that is a myth yeah that isn't a few different mythologies of just lovers eternally divided usually in regards to the sun and moon Yeah, I was literally thinking the same thing of somebody who exists only during the day and somebody who exists only during the night sort of a thing. Yeah. And Baphomet or Nurgle is like, that's what I should do. And 
Laura was like, but do you want to? He's like, no, but I should. This poor boy has gotten his head so messed up. I know. Because he did love her and she did abuse the shit out of him. And that would mess with anyone's head. Yeah. And he knows it was wrong. But at the same time, like, I think this is what she would want me to do. And I should do what she wants me to do. And Laura, even on the next page, says as much. She starts in going in angry. And you see her have to restrain herself. She starts out with like, listen. Like, she's upset, not at Nurgle, but on his behalf. I feel that so much. She's mad and it's coming out and she takes a moment to rein it back in and then tries to explain the things that we've been saying this whole time. That the Morrigan, Marion, bringing Cameron into the Pantheon, essentially killed him. She sentenced him to death by doing that. And then she literally killed him. (laughs) Like, straight up, in a fight, murdered him. So... He shouldn't feel beholden to her because all she did was try to kill him. And Nurgle basically does the same thing that Persephone did. He says, that guy died with my parents. The person that Cameron was died before he ever became Nurgle. And that's sort of what happened with Laura and Persephone is that when Laura's parents died, Laura died too and then was just Persephone. I do call a little bit of bullshit on that. Because we saw him with eventually to be Dio. Like, he was still Cameron in that. Like, he was definitely a depressed Cameron, but I don't think he was fully gone. And to be fair, parents dying is natural. It sucks that it happened that young that soon at the same time, but that is something that most people go through at one point. Yes, most people have to live through the death of their parents. Most people don't have to live through the violent death of both their parents at the same time. That's how you get Batman. But instead of being Batman, Cameron just became really depressed. And he became Gothman. He became Gothman. You can argue that the rest of his time, he was trying to self-destruct. And that's why the whole thing with him and Marion, like they broke up because Cameron was trying to Mm self-destruct. And then Marion became a god and Cameron became obsessed with her. And then Marion decided, sure, he can die too. And Cameron felt like, well, I'm already dead. Even if he was acting like chipper and punny, that doesn't necessarily mean that he was okay, you know? No, I'm not saying that he was okay. But I feel like, on one hand, a bit of therapy, or not a bit, but therapy, and he could have gotten back to being Cameron. Yes, agreed. Now, therapy is going to help but not do a whole lot for this now. I don't know if there are enough therapists in the world, but Cameron, Nurgle... There's an interesting thing that I've been seeing a lot recently in people talking about depression and especially coming out of depression. As you're on the path towards like becoming a a less depressed person, as you're on the path to overcoming that daily struggle, you find yourself in a period where you miss being sad. Some people report, not everybody, but there is a comfort that I've seen a lot of people talking about in that misery because there's a sense of like surety that was in it and it's just so familiar. No, I can see that. And so this is sort of what I see with Nurgle here. He says, all of this just feels like a bleak coda. I needed her then. He's clinging to his past with the Morrigan. And he doesn't want to move on because even though he was miserable, there was comfort and surety in that misery. That also comes with abusive relationships of the person who's abused, even though they can know it, that they're being abused. This is wrong. They don't deserve to be treated that way. They might know it on one level, but they don't feel it. 
And they still feel a need to be with that person because they still love them so much. Right. And they're sort of stuck. They feel like they're afraid to move on from that position. Yeah. I've been in a similar position and I felt that way for a long time until one day something just finally clicked. But yeah, for a long time you're stuck that way and sometimes it takes a push. And we have Laura here making a gentle push saying, you needed her then. Don't make then now. Don't make then forever. Don't trap yourself in needing her. And Nurgle Cameron takes a second to think about that. And then just real quick, freaking shout out to the entire team, like Jamie and, and Matt for the coloring and the shadow on yeah. oh, Nurgle's face is so good. It's so good. You can see it. Oh. But he consents. He says, all right, let's do this. He doesn't just say, all right. He says the title of this arc. Okay. Yep. Ah, uh, the boy. The boy. The boy. And I also love that this happens after he's embraced being Nurgle. Mm-hmm. Being, quote unquote, his true god and not like this facade. And so we get him looking at his girlfriend one last time. And they look so very peaceful and floaty. And once again, this face, and it looks like he takes the time to look at all three of them. And at the end, he says, I'm sorry, and reaches out to start snapping. When I first read this, this was very cinematic to me. It was also very, like, jump cuts, staccato, sort of. Yeah. It was like, boom, Bave, Morgan, Gentle Annie, and then boom, Cameron, Cameron, Cameron. Like... It's another, in a way, like a nine panel page because we're cutting to the triplicate, the threes. Yeah. The symbolism in that. If Wicked works its way through development and actually becomes something on screen. Oh man, I'd die. Uh, to see the scene. I mean, they'd obviously have to change a lot of Wicked just to make it translate, but to see this scene in particular. Yeah. Listen, I can't do an English accent, but this is my audition tape to be Lucifer, please. Please, I'm begging you. We'll get you a dialect coach. We'll make you have an English accent. Please? That's all I want. Anyway, we cut to this is probably like the hardest thing that Cameron Nurgle has had to do because even though he's hurt Marion before, he's literally like physically thought her before, but now she will be gone. He's destroying any possibility. Yeah, she is just gone forever. He doesn't even have her body left. He literally built a shrine. For her to float in for all of eternity so he could just stay there and be sad about it. Yeah. And now he is destroying, literally destroying what he's built because he clicks his fingers three times pointing at the three bodies. And every time he does so, the shrine around them crumbles a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And there's pain on his face and there's sorrow on his face as he does this because this is the woman he loved despite how much she hurt him. This is him letting go completely. And we have the symbolism, the symbolism of the building crumbling around them as he destroys her both in image and in memory. Oh, dang. Sorry. Yeah. It's also him giving up this abusive relationship for the sake of his friends. Yeah. Because at some point he still kind of became friends with all of them, with Laura, with Nan after he tried to kill him. I think he could have been friends with Tara if they had like stopped being awful for a minute i feel like just if everyone had stopped being awful for a minute they would have realized they're all in the same boat and been very good friends yeah but we had someone who was specifically working to make sure they weren't friends literally yes it's basically 
This was like a really weird, hyper super powered version of Big Brother <laughs> on Game Remover, where like the producers just mixing the pot, doing stuff to incite people to get mad at each other. Could we please have a scene of the different gods doing some really dumb Big Brother games? Yes. Yes. And then we go to the next page, and oh. I feel like it's not fair that I got this page. Oh, man. Oh, man. And Nurgle looks back away from the crumbling shrine where his girlfriend was, and we see Bravissimo now. And we got our gods back. They're back. They're back. Do you want to describe what Lucy looks like? They're so goth. I love it. No, it's your page. I will add on after you finished. Okay, so we got Lucy has new hair because I guess she got Babe's body. She got Babe. She got some awesome new red hair still with a black streak. And instead of her classic white, it's all black with like a corset top, but still a black suit and a single gold necklace with like one black feather, which works for both the Morgan and Lucy. And I love it. It's like a fallen angel sort of aesthetic going on now. Yeah, well, still like giving a nod to whose body it originally was. And then we got Inanna giving like a sad smile and like a nod to like, thank you, Nurgle. It helps me, bro. He has an awesome all black jacket with these gold star buttons. It's still very Prince with like a ripped like netted shirt and a lot of buckles. Because I'm pretty sure that like Inanna got Gentle Annie. Yeah, I think Anana got gingerly Annie. And Annie's very grunge. Yeah. And so he's a bit grungy, gothy Anana now. Yeah. But it still works. It's like Prince meets goth grunge, sort of, but in a very Prince way. Prince would rock this. Yeah, Prince would rock this. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. And then we have John, who it's been so long since the poor boys had a body. We believe he got the main Morgan because yeah. that seems to make the most sense. And he is in all black with green highlights. It's a very what we would think as a Woden-like suit, but the aesthetic is slightly different. It looks very Tron still. It still looks very Tron, but you can see like the outline of the wings on his chest. Yeah. And you can even see in the smoke, there are like ravens floating away in the smoke that's coming off of them. Yep. And I love it. Uh, it's so good. And so Christina has another cosplay. <laughs> I, this is going to be easier to wear than the white suit. No, you're right. There's a real quick thing that I just noticed. You see in the foremost trio of ravens, one of them is carrying something. Do you see that? Yeah, I see it. On the left hand side, one of them is carrying a little bundle or something. What is that? I don't know. What is that? It's coming off a of Nana. It is coming off of Inanna. I don't know what that is. I don't either. I feel like it's going to come back later. It might. It might. But yes. We got our people back. We got our babies back. And Lucy's like, as much as I love to sit around in this charming, disintegrating place, I really want to fuck someone up. I got hands again and I'm ready to fight. I got the hands of a warrior goddess again. I need to kill something. Yes. Everything will be on fire. Oh, and I love her look and her pose. It's so good. No, they're all so very good. It's all excellent. She has black nail polish. I mean, like, no, I love all of them. I'm so happy that they all got their bodies back. This was the moment I've been waiting for. I've always thought that Inanna didn't deserve it. He never did. He was too pure, too good. He didn't deserve the suffering. He's back. He's like, oh, he's validated. I'm validated is what's happening. We got a little bit of chest hair on Inanna's chest and I like that. Like, it's a good look. So, 
everybody's like still standing in this literally crumbling around them temple. Surprisingly calm for a crumbling around them temple. They've experienced worse. <laughs> They're fine. And Laura's just kind of like, okay, so I know what we have to do. I know how we can end this, but I can't like tell you. You, we, you just kind of have to, it's one of those things like you have to trust me. I have to show you. I have to show you. And Lucifer's literally like, okay, so I'm really not about the whole trust me. She says, trust me, really, you're an adorable darling, but I don't think any of us are in the market for trust anymore. Like, they are very jaded. Talk about what's happening in the background. Oh, yeah. In the background, we have Cameron and Inanna, or Nurgle and Inanna, hugging. They're hugging it out. And Nurgle's crying. They're crying because it's just kind of like, oh, man, bro, it's been so long. We've both been through so much, but it's going to be okay. You just gave me your dead girlfriend's body. Yeah, like, oh, man, there's so much happening. (laughs) Is there a card? That you can give for that, like the thanks for sacrificing your dead girlfriend's body so that I'm not decapitated head anymore, bro. Hug it out, I guess. I don't know. Is there like a thank you card for organ donors' families? It's a similar concept, I guess. That's the closest thing I could think of. And so for once in this entire comic, Cassandra steps up to the plate and is just kind of like, listen, I don't need to ask further questions. I'm good to go. Mrs. Skepticism, the president or prime minister of the nation of skepticism and anger, and I am not doing anything until you literally explain everything to me right now, Cassandra, Mm -hmm. is just kind of like, no, listen, I will do whatever Laura tells me to do. And if I'm doing it, then all y'all should be also. Because it's Laura fucking Wilson and you know what she has been through. Because I'm done with this. (laughs) And this is a thing a gesture that does not go lost on laura she starts like crying she starts tearing up yeah at this show of trust because cassandra's trust is very much not easily won yeah and they were friends first before either of them were gods friends they were work friends that then started to give a shit about each other yes so definitely it means a lot to laura she starts tearing up a little bit but she sort of gets herself back under control and says So the big thing, the big problem is that they have to get everyone on their side. Specifically, she says we have to get Ball on our side because as far as I know, Ball is the only god who's still working for Minerva. Because Woden doesn't matter. Woden does matter. And everyone else is dead. (laughs) Because we had like the underground underdogs, which was like Laura and Baphomet and Morgan. And everybody, there was the Norns who were kind of neutral. And then there was the God Squad, which was the people who were with Ananki and Minerva, which was Ball, Sekhmet, Namatrasu. Well, Sekhmet and Namatrasu are dead. Mm -hmm. And they just freed John. So Woden's kind of like useless-ish. He still has all the God tech or whatever, but- He still has all the tech, but he can't make it anymore. And they have the actual God that matters. Exactly. And this is sort of what we've been talking about this building up to. I am pretty sure- That Laura is saying the only way that they can make a difference, the only thing that they can do is give up their divinity. Because that's what she did. All of them. All of them have to do it. Because it doesn't matter. She says nothing they do will matter if Ball doesn't do it also. So it seems like a thing every single one of them has to give up their divinity. If they all give up their divinity before Ball does, they dead. Yeah. Like, they won't have anything to protect themselves. They're just going to get annihilated. Yeah. Yeah. So all of them have to do it. And then 
if there's no one for Minerva to kill, she can't perpetuate the cycle. And if there's no one fighting them anymore other than Minerva, then they won't be obliterated. Maybe they'll be obliterated, but it doesn't matter because they'll still have won. They basically just have to take away all of the heads because we're not gods anymore. So what's she going to sacrifice? Yeah. So they basically have to find Ball. The next goal is find Ball and tell him that everything he's been doing to defeat the Great Darkness has not been important. That's not the problem here anymore. The Great Darkness isn't what you think it is. Exactly. And here's another page that made me scream. Cass is like, I think we can settle the question of the Great Darkness easily enough. I'll just scry it because I can do that now. Because I'm just living Google now and I can do whatever I want. Yep. And Laura's like, but you've looked for it before. And she's like, sure. That was the problem. I was looking for the great darkness. That was the wrong question. And then we get the last panel and it's cast with her god eyes smirking. And like, I love how Jamie draws these smirks, too, because he also gets the canines in just enough to make it predatory. She looks very predatory. She's got glowing, yeah. angry eyes. In th- she looks aggressive. She looks confident. She looks terrifying, a little bit vampiric. The way her face paint is ends up looking very much like predator style eyes, too. Yeah. And I know the right one. So now Cass has the right question to ask to find out what the fuck's been happening. What is the question, though? I want to know and hopefully we'll know in the next issue because we end oh this ending. It ends with 99 crossed out 98 problems. Yep. And we have Inanna's symbol bursting back into the circle with glitter and it's bright and bold. Inanna's back on the scene. We have Lucifer's symbol bursting back into the circle with flames, and it's bright and it's bold. The two of them are busting back in. They're on the playing field once more. Yep. I feel like the question of what Cassandra needs to ask to learn the truth, I feel like the question is something that we've already seen in the comic. I feel like it's information hidden in the comic that I just haven't put together yet. Yeah, that's probably the case because that keeps happening to us, doesn't it? Yeah, it always ends up being a callback to something or it's like or it's some super hidden reveal. But I feel like in this moment, this is something that we have learned recently in the comic or has been like hidden in it the entire time. And it's literally like the tip of my brain. And I don't know, it's going to haunt me until the next issue. It's interesting that they don't make Tara come back, but I guess she doesn't have a body yet. So she isn't on the playing field. She can't do God stuff at the moment. Yeah. Because she is not able to use her powers, she is not there, I guess. Interestingly, though, John is also not in the circle. Well, no, because Woden's symbol is John's symbol. Well, yeah, Woden's symbol is John's symbol, but here's the question, because if Woden's symbol is John's symbol, but John's been ahead this whole time, why isn't Tara still there sort of a thing? Because frankly, Persephone's also never had a symbol. There is a lot. There's a lot. There is a lot. There's a lot of questions. I guess you could also argue that Persephone's symbol is all of the skulls. Death. She is the destroyer. And it's so good. And oh, man, there's so much here. There's a lot to decompress. This was an emotional journey. I feel like there's fewer questions now. There are still some questions, but I feel like this is the most resolved that we have ever been. Everybody who can be is back on the playing field. Yeah. We know what they need to do. We know what they're planning on doing. It's all just a matter of how they're going to pull it off. 
this definitely feels like we're getting to that grand climax ending. We're at the part of the movie where we're putting pushpins in the images on the wall and it's all coming together and we step back and we're like, my God, they're going to sacrifice the entire city. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think Nick is right. The more we get into this, like 44 is definitely going to be the end climax while 45 is an epilogue. That definitely makes a lot of sense to me. Our lovely person who emailed us, Nick. Well, this was 41. So we can give 42 and 43 for maybe them reconciling everything, getting Ball into the fold, convincing him of his ways, Mm -hmm. or killing him, I guess. Because if he's dead, then he's off the field. Yeah. Though if Minerva kills him, that might, like, show him. (laughs) What's Minerva going to do when she realizes the heads are gone? I don't know. I don't know, my guy. Technically, she's still got one. She still has one sacrifice head with Tara. Well, it's not in her possession, though. Not in her possession, not in her control. That ball's been taken out of the field. Because she needs that head to do the ritual, like... Yes. Yeah. It's... Oh, it's so good. It's... It's so much. I love seeing this all weave together. Yes. It's so satisfying, and I'm so excited. It is vindication. Yep. He giveth. In this moment, Kieran Gillen giveth. Yep. I don't trust him not to take it away, but I think what this means is I really do need to make Amaterasu's death dress and just ruin it with blood so I can walk around with her final form and Lucy's final form. And I can laugh at you because technically I am not part of the dead god squad anymore. <laughs> no, you're not. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, I'll be the only one there part of the dead god squad. Oh man, I had the best idea for Emerald City. I do this the four stages of Eleanor. Just go first day as Eleanor, second day as Lucifer, third day as just the Lucifer's head. Yeah. Like I'm wearing like a black sheet from the neck down. Oh, we make like a little table for you. Exactly. Fourth and final day, new, improved, goth Lucifer. <laughs> Hello, it is I. In the meantime, Kate, after this emotional journey that we've been through. You're going to make me recommend a comic. I'm going to make you recommend a comic. <laughs> You could also (laughs) recommend maybe that we all experience some sort of primal scream therapy. It's up to you. Primal scream therapy is not a bad idea. Um, I just, to be completely honest, listeners, I just got real excited about this. Christine and I both had some unexpected free time and I was like, comic, record, now. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. Yep. I didn't get a plan a whole lot. That's fine. So what we are going to recommend is actually something different. I just saw a movie, and that movie was Glass, because we got special pre-screening tickets for my comic book shop, and it was surprisingly good. Okay. I have stopped trusting M. Night Shyamalan after Avatar The Last Airbender, and that really hurts me to admit that movie exists. Fair. But Glass, like, you don't even need to watch Unbroken or Split in order to enjoy it. It does a really good job. If you just watch it, it kind of explains as you go. Okay. And you can tell he waited 19 years for this. It's really well put together, well thought out, well plotted. And the acting is great. And it's a fun take on, maybe not fun. It's a Kieran Gillen take on superheroes. All right. Well, with that recommendation in mind... If you have any recommendations of your own for comics that people could read to sort of help emotionally get over this trying time until we get more Wicked Divine, or if you have an idea of what the question is for The Great Darkness, what Cassandra is now looking for, 
to find proof about exactly what this thing is. Yep. Feel free to email all that information to us. You can reach out to us on our Twitter or our email address, which are... Our email is once more with feelings podcast at gmail.com. And our Twitter is at feelingscast. I'm sorry. I really have not been on top of the Twitter. I'm trying to get better on it. It's a New Year's resolution. We all have our resolutions. Yep. <sighs> all right. I'm going to go lie down on the floor for a bit and just emotionally process this. I'm probably going to reread this just over and over again and want. <laughs> yep. That's fair. Okay. I'll talk to you later, Christina. Bye, Kate.